God. He's thankful for His love. Amen. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Romans chapter 5, Romans the 5th chapter. I would like to speak to you today on the demonstration of God's love, part 2. We've talked about the dimensions of His love for a couple of Sundays, and now we're spending a couple of Sundays today being the second one on the demonstration of God's love. Can we say that together? The demonstration of God's love. 1 John 4, we read this earlier today, says, In this, the love of God was manifested. When something's manifested, it, it's, it can be seen. It's being di- displayed or demonstrated, as it were, toward us. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. What is that funny word, propitiation? It means to satisfy or to appease. It's to pay the demands of justice. And He did that for our sins. Not because He loves sin, but because He loves sinners. He loves us, and He sent His Son on a mission to be. Everything about Him was a full payment for our sins. To live a full and productive life on earth in the midst of temptation. Why did He do that? Hebrews says, so that He might be a faithful high priest so that when we would come to him he would be able to help us in time of need now the old testament says that his mercy endures forever we celebrated that today his love endures forever his mercy endures forever so how could he be made a more merciful high priest his mercy endures forever he understands all things he has all knowledge so by his omniscience or his all-knowingness or his superior intelligence He knows what you're going through. But through His Son, by the Word becoming flesh, God becoming man, He knows what we're tempted with by experience, not just knowledge. Who knows there's a difference between knowledge, there's some things you know, and there's some things you know. He knows what you're going through. And knew that we needed a Savior and gave Himself up for us. The Father gave His Son. The Son gave Himself up for us. The God of the universe had a mission from the foundation of the world to meet our need, to deal with that which separated us from Him. We love Him, chapter Verse 19, which is the last verse of chapter 4, 1 John, says, We love Him because He first loved us. There's no game we can play with Him, I love you more. We can't. I love you first. No, He got the jump on us. Have you found Romans 5 yet? I just want to look at it from your Bibles. If you didn't have a Bible today, I'm sorry, I don't have it on the screen. I want us to look at the book, but listen to the richness of this revelation. Chapter 4 ends with of Romans ends with talking about Abraham and Sarah 
and them being justified by faith. They believed in the birthing of a miraculous seed. And when Abraham was asked to offer up his son as a sacrifice, there's another passage that says his son was as good as dead. They made a journey for three days for a place of sacrifice. And all Abraham would tell his son was, we're going to worship. And then as an act of faith in God and obedience to God, God had him lay his son upon an altar of wood to offer him up as a sacrifice. And through that act, God was honored that Abraham loved him more than his son, but he showed him a ram to offer as a substitute in place of his son. Because you've not withheld your son from me, I'm going to make a covenant with you. And the Bible says that he was justified by faith. And by faith, we are the sons of Abraham, and we are justified by the same thing. Through believing in the miraculous seed or descendant of Abraham, this time not being Isaac, which was an impossible birth, but being his son Jesus through his lineage, through Mary. So we believe in the birthing of his miraculous seed. Jesus was the son of God and the son of man, that is, the son of a woman, Mary, as well as believing in the resurrection of his seed because Abraham believed God would be able to raise up his son if he had had offered him as a sacrifice. And so the faith that justifies us is is, uh, starting with the faith that justified Abraham. And so verse chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access. Can we say access? Access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. You just grow when you go through hard times. If you come to an understanding of that, you can rejoice, because the story's not over. Good's going to come out of everything. Verse 5, now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The love that caused him to do what he did by offering himself as a sacrifice for us, God giving his son, that same love is ours to enjoy today. He loves us and he loves us and he won't stop loving us. And we can experience that love. Verse 6, For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Verse 9. Now look at this. I spoke about the previous three verses last Sunday at length. So today I'd like to really start with uh, verse 9. Much more, having now been. Can we say having now been? Having now been justified by his blood, that's his death, the life that he gave for us, having now been something that's been established in past tense, having now been justified by his blood, which present tense we are now justified through what he did, having now been, we shall be. Can we say we shall be? So having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved by his life, saved from wrath through him. 
So past tense, he justified us by his blood. Present tense, we are justified. Future tense, we shall be saved from wrath through him. One day, judgment day is coming. The wrath of God that's been stored up will be poured out on this earth and all wickedness, including wicked people, will experience the wrath of God. So having now been justified, we shall be saved on the day of wrath or the day of judgment. You see that? So past tense, we have been. Future tense, we shall be justified and saved from wrath. So we are saved, but we're going to be saved. Is that not awesome? And as our minds are being renewed, we are being saved. I'm saved, I'm being saved as I learn to grow spiritually, and I shall be saved when judgment day comes. So if you live in fear of the rapture or the fear of the judgment of God, the remedy to that is get a closer walk with Jesus and a greater revelation of his love for you. And it will have an impact on your behavior. It will help you get a foothold on addictions. Amen? All right. Because he does it. We can't do it by ourselves. My pastor was raised in a Christian home. His dad was a pastor. And he uh, didn't get it. He didn't get it. He thought the Christian life was all about good behavior. And, and uh, as a state trooper, he taught Sunday school for boys in his in his church. And the boys loved him because he would take them to the donut shop instead of teach. He didn't have a real relationship with Jesus. And one day he went to a revival meeting and heard these words, only Jesus can live the Christian life. Therefore, you need Jesus to live in you, in relationship with you, and the Christian life will become fruit. Remember what he said? Abide in me and you will bear much fruit. So our goal isn't so much to behave and to keep the rules. Our goal is to grow in our relationship with Christ, to get to know him, to worship him, to spend time with him. And some of this other stuff will begin to fall away. Is it a problem? Yes, it's a problem. God's son died so we could be forgiven of those problems. But to be freed from them, you can't get saved and then just try to save yourself every day. He is the Savior every day of my life. Amen. All right, back to the text. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, using logic here, if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more than, much more, Having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So he's reviewing what he just said in verse 9. If when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of God's son. If that is true, how much more than having been reconciled, now that we are friends of God, will we be saved on judgment day? I was raised in a denomination that claimed to know everything there was to know about salvation, yet no one had assurance. It was like a carrot. Oh, none of us know if we're saved yet till the rapture comes, till the trumpet sounds. Only then will you know if you're saved. So you better try harder. You better pray back through again. You better not be a reprobate. You better, 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 better. And it was this carrot stick salvation 
that had people blinded that the work was done. My God, it's been done. It's been done. Having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. It's talking about judgment day, verse 11. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. We can now enjoy our reconciliation. It's not just holding on till Jesus comes back or till you go to heaven. There's a life to live now. I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And I'm sorry, but that's more than a Cadillac. It's life. Cadillacs have to be maintained. And let me tell you, when you put those boys in the shop, Yeah, just go to their garage. You'll see the rates are much higher than they are at other places. Anyway, all right. I love Cadillacs. I love Cadillacs. <laughs> see, if I cross a line, God will make sure I get one. So back off. Back off. I don't want a Cadillac, really. All right, verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man... Through one man, sin entered the world, and death through sin. Thus, death spread to all men because all sinned. The first man, Adam, sinned, all right? And it affected us all because he separated us from God, and his children were born separated from God. It's like being on a jet plane with a pilot that's on drugs and a co-pilot that's missing. Everybody on that plane is vulnerable to one guy. Will he sober up enough to be able to land that thing? Which is probably the most dangerous thing pilots do. Will he? Everybody is vulnerable to one man. Same principle. We were all vulnerable to our father, Adam. So sin came through one. All right? But salvation came. Through one as well. Look at verse 15. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man Jesus Christ abounded to many. So you understand the principle? One man brought sin, one man brought righteousness. The Bible calls him in another place the last Adam or the second Adam. Not going to be a third, so he is the last Adam. Verse 16. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. What a mystery. Now listen to this. One man sinned, our father Adam, separated us from God. One man did not sin, was separated from God for us so that we could be reconciled to God. So one man sinned, brought sin on the world. One man came and brought justification to the world. One offense made us all sinners. Many offenses, not committed by the last Adam, but against the last Adam, resulted in justification. It wasn't one sin that justified us. It was many that God used to bring about 
the payment for our sins. There was a sin of conspiracy, the sin of lying, the sin of betrayal, the sin of torture, the sin of not loving your neighbor. I mean, all the commandments were broken if you really look at it in depth in the death of God's Son. The killing of the innocent and the killing of the Son of God. It was the epitome of sin. The worst sin imaginable. The planet should have been melted at that that point. God should have sent a laser beam and melted this place. But he didn't because he predestined it. He allowed it to be. He drew like bacon on a boil. He drew the infection in the human race to a head. And experience took it, upon him, took it upon himself. The Bible says he became sin for us. What's bacon on a boil? My grandma, that was her home remedy for boils. Make that boil rot a little bit longer and then you can get the head out. I'm sorry. We're talking about sin. It's nasty. But the free gift, verse 15, is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that, verse 16, which came through the one who sinned, but the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift, we say free gift? Free gift, which came from many offenses resulted in justification. Many offenses resulted in justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So one offense, death reigned. One justifier, we reign. We no longer fear death. There's a verse in Hebrews that says, Jesus came and tasted death for everyone. So that through him, all of us who were subject our whole lifetime to bondage, to the fear of death, could be freed. If you're afraid of dying, there is freedom for you. This paralyzing fear of death is uh, something to be freed from. Now, none of us want to die. We all want to go to heaven, but we don't want to go on the next load. But we're not afraid of dying because we understand it is simply a transfer of residence. Leaving this body that's going to be replaced to sleep in Jesus, to be present with Jesus, however you want to look at it. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. You escape the bonds of time and there you are. Or you sleeping under the soil of the ground somewhere in the arms of Jesus. Don't worry about it. The point is, we don't have to be afraid of dying. Now, what is worry? Worry is anxiety. Worry is fear. If you want to disarm your fears, chase them to their most extreme conclusion. And almost always, it will lead you to death. If you can disarm the fear of death, it'll take care of a lot of your worry. Think about it. My grandmother worried all the time, and her worries always went to the point of death. My parents bought a house out in the country, and there were critters living in the attic we didn't know until wintertime came. And grandma and, gram- grandma and granddad came to stay with us, 
And in the middle of the night, we could hear those things running, the rats running across the attic. All right, we're going to have to get the traps out. <clears throat> and we could hear Grandma talking. Oh, my God. They have mice. Mice can catch rabies. Mice can bite us. We could all die. Verse 17, For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So death reigned through the one, Adam. We reign through the one, Jesus Christ. Do you see that? Verse 18, Therefore, as through one man's offense judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. I'll stop right there. This was written to Christians. And maybe you have read it thinking, okay, this is evangelistic material. Yes, I can tell them that Jesus paid the way. No, this is written for us to understand what happened when Jesus paid the way. To lift the load of condemnation off of us so that we can stop trying to save ourselves and then we medicate on sin to make ourselves feel better. And then we get in a hopeless cycle of being made to feel guilty and condemned and I'm sorry, no good and unworthy and... I'll never take communion again for the rest of my life to punish myself. I'm going to put myself on probation. No, 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 no. Receive the free gift and the gift will have an impact on your life and set you free. In Genesis chapter 3, man has sinned and then God comes and pronounces the curse, the result of sin. Women would suffer in childbirth. Women would be dominated by their husbands. This is the curse of sin. He came to redeem us from sin. All right? Man would work by the sweat of his brow. Man would return to the dust. Thorns and thistles would uh, be uh, a problem in the earth. And man had to leave the garden separated. Jesus came and took the curse upon himself, went through all that suffering to give birth or rebirth to his children. And he came not to dominate us as the husband of his bride, the church, but to serve us and to lay down his life for us, fulfilling that part of the curse. He had on his head the curse of thorns, the crown of thorns. And I do not think that crown was a little wreath. I think it was a crown. Because over there in in the Middle East is a thorn bush that you can weave it in such a way that it becomes a hat. I think he had thorns going all over his head. In Garden of Gethsemane, he was sweating under the weight of sin to the point of bleeding, as it were, through his pores, taking upon himself the curse of sin and dying and going into the grave under the surface of the dust. He became dust like us and returned to dust like us, as it were, in the grave. 
and also experienced a separation from God when he cried out, My God, my God, thou hast forsaken me. All of this was done to give you and I the free gift of his righteousness. In our uh, gifting workshop yesterday, Jeff so ably illustrated by having two men come forward, one representing mercy and one representing grace. Mercy represents or speaks of those things that we deserve that we don't receive. Mercy is mercy exists when God does not give us what we deserve. And grace exists when God gives us what we don't deserve. Not getting what you do deserve is mercy. Receiving what you don't deserve is grace. And I think some of us are trapped between the two. You know that God is merciful and you're not going to hell, but you feel totally unworthy of his grace in your life. It's by grace that we're saved in the first place. You can't really separate mercy and grace anyway, but we try to. It's all a gift. It's all his grace. Now let's talk about righteousness and forgiveness. We all know that we need to be forgiven of our sins, our bad record needs to be canceled out in the eyes of God by the gift of Jesus. We understand forgiveness, but many times we misunderstand righteousness. Righteousness is the perfect record of Jesus that he imputes to our account before God. So not only am I forgiven of my sin, I am blessed with his righteousness. He became sin for us. 1 Corinthians says, So that we might become, he became that we might become. He became that we might become. He became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. He became our sin for us that we might become his righteousness. Does that do something in your head? This is why our minds need to be renewed. It's not a a, uh, tic-tac-toe game with God. He has done it all. He's won the victory for you. I'll do my part, then you better do your part or you're not going to be blessed. There are consequences to sin. I mean, if I sin by jumping on this roof and jumping off off this roof and saying, okay, angels, come on, I'm going to break some legs. Jump out of a boat. I'm going to walk on water like Jesus. I'm going to have to start swimming. There's consequences for being dumb. All right? But as far as God's love for you, it doesn't change it. It's still there. It's as constant as gravity. Now, start walking in light of it. Instead of working for salvation, living by your perspiration, start living by his inspiration. Instead of desperation and and condemnation, let's walk in some revelation. I am a son of God. You know, ladies, you too are the sons of God. Corporately, we are the sons of God. This is a blessing. Now, you're also a daughter of the king. It's great. But a son was the one throughout history is the one that gets the inheritance. The daughter's got to get a husband. But spiritually before God, you have a husband. Because we, corporately, including the men, we are all the bride, not the brides, the bride of Christ. But plurally, we are the sons of God. So I'll say, I'm a son. 
I'm so way past my notes, I'm going to have to stop. God loves you. And uh, back in 99, a a guy got a fresh revelation of God's love for him. And he put together all the scriptures that speak of God's love and relates to God's love and put them in a letter from God and called it the Father's Love Letter. And so I'm going to skip what I planned on doing and show you the Father's Love Letter. Here we go. Oh. to experience are true. They will change your life if you let them. For they come from the very heart of God. He loves you. And He is the Father you have been looking for all your life. This is His love letter to you. I desire to establish you with all my heart and all my soul. 
and I want to show you great and marvelous things. If you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. Delight in me, and I will give you the desires of your heart. For it is I who gave you those desires. I am able to do more for you than you could possibly imagine. For I am your greatest encourager. I am also the Father who comforts you in all your troubles. When you are brokenhearted, I am close to you. As a shepherd carries a lamb, I have carried you close to my heart. One day, I will wipe away every tear from your eyes, and I'll take away all the pain you have suffered on this earth. I am your Father, and I love you even as I love my Son Jesus. For in Jesus, my love for you is revealed. He is the exact representation of my being. He came to demonstrate that I am for you, not against you, and to tell you that I am not counting your sins. Jesus died so that you and I could be reconciled. His death was the ultimate expression of my love for you. I gave up everything I loved that I might gain your love. If you receive the gift of my son Jesus, you receive me. And nothing will ever separate you from my love again. Come home and I'll throw the biggest party heaven has ever seen. I have always been father. And will always be father. My question is, will you be my child? I am 